0: Which songs have been doing? A lot of them. Walking around these walls. I've been doing a lot of those. That one, I'll switch now. That one came because um, I had a dream. And in my dream, it's like I was taken to the time of Joshua. And I was watching them walking around the walls. That's when I realized the walls were big. So I decided to do research, and they were big. And can you imagine how frustrating it was walking around the world every day? Sometimes with faith, you find yourself doing the right thing over and over again, and if you're not careful, you can begin to question your faith. You can begin to think, maybe my prayers are not loud enough. Maybe my declarations are not scriptural enough. But in the fight of faith, you have to hold on to your confession no matter what. I was teaching, I had a session with my board and I was teaching them about this. I was telling them the fight of faith entails that you have to hold on to your confession. You can see that in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. What does the Bible say? 1 Timothy 6, 12. The Bible says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. You grab a hold of it. You put your hands and don't let go. And it says, to which you have also been called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. There is something about your confession. You must maintain it. You must maintain it. Don't go from today confessing you are blessed to the next day confessing you are cursed. Fight for your confession. Okay. You'll be able to see that in about two weeks, because there's some who are going with both the... Will I be around? It? There'll be some who are going in the next two, three weeks um, in the context of... Um, there's some who are going in the next two, three weeks. Now, as you are praying for the ministry, as you are praying for me, this weekend, I'll be traveling to Kawe. We are having a Dominion night at Mulungushi Conference. No, at Mulungushi. <laughs> We're having Dominion night at Mulungushi uh, University. And it's going to be really, really powerful. I'll be back. I think I'll be back by, by Saturday. I'll be back because we have one year's wedding. And then <laughs> Sunday we'll have a powerful service. Then the next week I'll be traveling to the Copper Belt. I'm having a series of meetings on the Copper Belt. Now, that means that Sunday, I'll be preaching at City of the Lord Church, Kitway. Should I hear? Now, let me just make this an emphasis. I don't like those things. No, I go secretly. Just no, no. Should I hear that anyone didn't come because I wasn't there? I'll send you a text. <laughs> my eyes will be everywhere. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be really powerful. Pastor Cho will be ministering. <laughs> I, I don't know if you've heard her preach, but hey, that woman is fire, okay? So it's going to be really, really, really amazing. But I also want you to pray. Uh, I'm going to do some serious apostolic work there, and I'm believing God for some serious apostolic miracles there, okay? I want the church established in just a few things. So I want us to keep praying in that light. We're also taking a gift there. with, We're, we're buying them a peer system. So that's, that's what's going on and don't be afraid of this thing that's going around the world. It's not coming here. As a matter of fact, let's rebuke it from the world. It's not necessary. It's disturbing football matches and things like that. No, I'm not saying. It's, it's not necessary. Can imagine? Some guy scores a fantastic goal. There are no fans to celebrate for him. I'm very upset. So um, there are people who don't know what to do for the next three, four weeks. They've got nothing to watch. Okay, that's a light moment. But on a serious note, pray against it. But also be careful because mainstream media sometimes really buys off people's fear. Okay, at the same time, exercise portion. No need for unnecessary handshakes. Buy sanitizer. It's okay. It's okay to do that. Thou shalt not put the Lord your God to a test. Praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> now, let's go to John chapter 1, verse 17. We'll see how far we can go today. Uh, at some point, based on how I send some lead, I might stop a little bit because there are some people I've been getting prophetic words for, but my sermons have been too long. So, I might stop to do some doings. Remember, there's the teachings and the doings. Okay. Now, for those who are just joining us, perhaps you missed the other parts of the series, I would advise you to go to our podcast and catch up. But otherwise, you're still in the right place at the right time. God wanted you here. This one is your sermon. There's a lot that we're going to learn about God today. And you'll find the scriptures very interesting. Okay. Praise God. Okay. Now, we are still in the series called The Word of His Grace. And last week, we looked at how grace is a gift from God. It's a package deal. And we were just generally talking about it being a gift. But we haven't really gotten to define it, so the next few weeks we'll be defining it. We'll be given different definitions, and we're going to start with today's definition. I think today's definition is one of the most common. But what I love about the Word of God is that there's always further insight you can get. As I was studying this stuff, I was just amazed. I almost started another series. I'm telling you, 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 you know, uh, this message is about this one is your message. Okay, let's go. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Praise God for grace and truth. So grace and truth came through who? And give me Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. The Bible says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. I would advise that those who are not able to attend midweek service, follow the podcast. Because in, the, in midweek service, I've been talking about faith. Grace and faith come together. Because we are saved by grace through faith. So by grace, you have been saved through faith. Now give it to me in the Amplified. I want us to see how the Amplified explains what grace is. Now, in using Bible versions, perhaps let me explain something. Um, Majority of theologians agree that when it comes to accuracy, the most accurate should be the King James. Okay? The most accurate should be the King James. Now, the trouble is a number of people struggle with the thou, thy, thou shalt, mouth and the like and I've come to read the New King James as well and they're mean they're they're quite similar There are not many changes and then of course there are some versions that you have to be a bit careful with they can't be here's how I put it when it comes to using versions there should be a version which is like your primary version it's like your doctrinal version and then you can look at others I hope you get my point. Now, the amplified, why many theologians like it is as follows. The amplified version tries to give a Greek or a Hebrew context because there are very few words in English, but there are more words in Greek and Hebrew. So that's why you find the amplified will have words in brackets because in, in the Greek, grace should be what? Charis? So the way a Greek person will read charis. It will have a context of unmerited favor, undeserved favor, and the like. Whereas you just see grace. I hope you're getting my point. So that's why we refer to the Amplified. So now, what does it say? For it is by free grace, and what's in brackets? God's unmerited favor. Go back to the one we had, John 1.17, in the Amplified. For while the law was given through Moses, grace, and then what's in brackets, unearned, undeserved favor and spiritual blessing. So it's unearned, it's undeserved, it's unmerited. You know what a merit is, eh? There are some people right now believing for a merit. They're simply awarding you saying you've done well. But then with grace, the first definition we'll have is grace is unmerited favor, undeserved favor, unearned favor. And I'll give you some examples of this. I'll say it again. So grace is unmerited favor. It's undeserved favor. It's unearned favor. I'll say it one more time. Grace is unmerited. It's undeserved. It's unearned. And the first context we see grace being used is salvation but there are other contexts in which grace is used. And some of them apply to other definitions We're even taught how to grow, grow in grace. For example, there's a context of grace that is used when it comes to giving, you've seen it? Okay, you will see it as we go on to the later definitions. So grace is undeserved favor, unmerited favor. It's unearned favor, favor you didn't have to work for, favor you didn't have to earn. And the simplest example I can give you is ideally, I'm using the word ideally because ideal, when you talk about idealism, you're referring to something that's supposedly supposed to be perfect, but I know it's not always the case. Okay, So, ideally, the favor that parents have towards their children is undeserved, ideally. Here's a person. The person is born. The day they are born, the whole world has to stop because they've been born. What have they done? They've been born. Three days later, we're being told how the child is the brightest child in the world and uh, the most amazing. So far, what have they done? They've given a few substances here and there. I remember one time receiving a text from my mother and one of our little cousins was born and I, I forgot what happened, but I received a text celebrating because he had um, uh, emptied his balls for the first time. And I was wondering. <laughs> undeserved favor. There's, there's nothing a person has done to deserve it, some of you know what I'm talking about. Eh? There's nothing a person has done to deserve it. They've, all the person has done is just been born. I, I don't know if you're getting my point. You find, you can find this wealthy man, and you stop him and give him a sad story about how you need money for school fees, and he'll tell you he'll think about it. His child comes and asks for an iPhone 18. Um, no, I'm saying that just in case some people will listen to this message some years from now. <laughs> I don't want to sound too old school. So the child comes and asks for an iPhone 18X Pro. And <laughs> and um, the person removes the money. Who do you think needs it more? The school person. Why can that person ask for an iPhone? That's a child. So they've got favor, which is just supposed to be there because they are the child. It's called undeserved favor. Now, remember last week, I talked about how when you're looking at a gift, you have it flawed if you look at it first from the context of the receiver. You have to look at it from the context of the giver. Because the one who gives the gift knows why he's giving it, and he knows the purpose of it. So if we're going to understand grace, we have to understand God. We have to understand why would God give us favor we don't deserve. There's something you would have to understand about God. You have to understand his nature, you have to understand his character, you have to understand how to describe him. You have to understand his ways. Let's go into that. I've got that look, eh? You can tell. You can't tell that I've got that look. There's that look I have when I know I'm taking you somewhere. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So now, God's nature, I'm so glad it's not a mystery because He defined it Himself. It's not a mystery. He defined it, He simplified it, He made it easy for us to understand. It's not a mystery. Let's go. Exodus chapter 33, verse 12. We'll be skipping a few verses, but let's read verse 12 to 19. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, do you see why we need a lot of production? And I'm not talking about... Screen production, why you change the whole story. I think I watched a Moses movie. I was so disappointed. They, they changed the whole story. But I'm talking about why you really bring these things to life. Then Moses said to the Lord, saying, See, you say to me, bring up these people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. And you have also found what? Grace in my sight. One of these days, I'll talk about that. What it means when you found grace in the sight of God. God, Imagine God decides to destroy the whole earth, but then he says, but Noah found grace in the sight of God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Noah found grace. Okay. Let's go on. My team should remind me to teach on that, eh? Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight. And consider this nation is your people. So what, what is Moses saying? If I have found favor, if I have found grace, show me your way. In short, like, describe to me who you are. Now, This is interesting because David described the difference between Moses and the people of Israel. Let me show you the difference. Psalm 103. Is somebody enjoying this so far? I'm still getting started. Give me verse 7. It says, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. Give me the King James. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. Now you go back to Exodus. So now, what it means is that those who knew him as the God of the Red, the God who can part the Red Sea, they knew his acts. The God who can provide manna in the desert, they knew his acts. There's usually people who just know his acts but don't know his ways can't get to reproduce his acts. Because, let's be honest, the God who parted the Red Sea, yes, he did. But have you observed that Moses is the one who went and did his hands until the sea parted? The God who produced water from a rock, yes, he did. But have you noticed that Moses is the one who struck it? The people who only know his acts. And, and, and I don't want you to be in that place. where you are just the person who, like, yes, you know God can do miracles. You know he can do this. So you're always uh, seeking him for healing. You're seeking him for this. You're seeking him for this. But do you know that if you know his ways, you can be able to reproduce his acts? They in the Bible say, who has known the mind of God that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Haven't you seen that verse? Have you observed that Moses who knew God's ways, now I say this in the purest context, please, in the purest context and with all respect, but have you noticed that he could get God to reconsider a decision? God decided, I'm killing these Israelites. Moses comes and says, but Lord, what will people say about you? He knew God, God is concerned about his name. They will say, you brought us up, out. And then Moses even says, kill me instead. I, I, I Can you imagine? God had told Moses, I'll kill all these Israelites and make you into a greater nation. Moses was not concerned about his reputation. He was concerned about God's. Can you imagine that? He goes like, what do people say about you? So I want us to shift from just knowing his acts to knowing his ways. Listen, there was a difference between Peter and the woman with the issue of blood. The woman with the issue of blood knew Jesus could heal her. But what did Peter know? What did Peter see such that in Acts chapter 3 he could now tell someone, such as I have I given to you? It must have been bigger then. What did he know? Okay, let's go back. Is somebody following so far? We're talking about grace. And so... I pray if I found grace in your heart, show me your way that I may know you. And have you observed what Jesus said about himself? I am the way, the truth, and the life. This term, the way, it's, it's very interesting because the first church was called the way. In the book of Acts, they would ask, are you part of the way? I hear you are in the way. I hear you are of the way. No, the first church was not called Catholic. It was called the way. Some people have had that argument, no, that's not, in the Bible it was called the way. Let's go on. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said, if your presence does not go with us, it's not to bring us up from here. Keep going. Today we'll read a lot of verses. How will it that to your people that I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? Next verse. The Lord said, I will do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. That's interesting. What do you think he means, I know you by name? They didn't know the others. That shows you a certain level of relationship. It's personal. Uh Ah. And what did Moses say? Please show me your glory. Uh Uh-huh. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. The other word for compassion is merciful. I will be merciful to whom I will be merciful. Now, let me say something about the glory of God that we must understand. There are many of us who believe the glory of God is smoke or the glory of God is a cloud, or the glory of God is all those things. If today I heard that someone important is passing in this world, and before they pass, there's a stream of cars, all these nice Bugatti is driving in front of them. It's glorious, eh? But do you know what the greatest glory would be? To see the actual person. What's more important, the cars that pass in front or the person who they are protecting? Because if the person who they are protecting, if anything is to happen to them, it's a national disaster. So when we're talking about the glory of God, And we're going to the highest realm. You know what that actually means? We're we're, we're talking about the person of God. We're talking about his nature. What is he like? It's one thing to know, oh, this is our favorite leader or something like that. It's another thing to know what they like to eat, what time they like to eat, how they like to relate, how they like to be told information. I'll give an example of myself. There's a way I like to be told information. There's a way I don't like to be told information. If you come and talk to me in a way that we should be in a panic state and everything is going wrong, I won't listen. I train myself not to listen to that. So, when we referring to the glory of God, he's talking about his way, he's talking about himself. Notice he says, I'll make my goodness pass before you, then I'll proclaim who I am, I'll tell you my name. I'll tell you about myself. That's what he says. A mystery people didn't know. Others just knew him as a God who parts the Red Sea. But God tells Moses, I'll tell you about myself. Aren't we glad he recorded it? Through the eyes of Moses, let's see what God did. Psalm, sorry, not Psalm, Exodus 34, verse 5. I can teach, I don't know how many topics on this. I'm just disciplining myself. We can teach about the presence of God. We can teach so many. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. I hope you understand that the word name in Bible days meant beyond more than what you call someone. It's referring to someone's being. That's why the day you discover that you be careful what you call someone. Listen, let's not bring unnecessary problems. Perhaps in days of ignorance, certain names were given, but not for you. Listen, whether it's your favorite uncle's name or your favorite, I don't want to give examples, but if you know this name just talks about suffering and problems, don't name your child that. It's not necessary. It's not necessary. Don't let them start fighting warfares which they're not supposed to fight. Where is God? Ah, next verse. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. God defined himself. God told us about himself. The most important attributes about himself, this is his glory. His glory there went beyond the cloud and the rumblings and the thunder. There was something he said about himself. Praise God. So this is his glory. What does it say? The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. The next verse he told us, though, that that will in no way justify the guilty. That's why Jesus had to come to justify that. But I want us to pay attention to those two words. The Lord, the Lord God is What? merciful and gracious. Why does he give undeserved favor? Because he is what? Merciful and gracious. I'll say it again. The Lord is what? Merciful and gracious. So you can imagine he didn't define himself before Moses as the Lord, the Lord God parts the Red Sea. No, there's, there, he was not just parting it because he felt like parting it. There was a people he had mercy over. He knew that they would catch them. So because he had mercy over them, he parted the Red Sea. There was a thought behind it. He was just going ah, to today what can I do? Let me just part the Red Sea. There was a thought behind it. There was something he was trying to do. He didn't just drop manna because he could drop it. Of course he could drop it. But why did he drop the manna? He didn't want his people to go hungry. He cared about the material side of them as well. They cried for water. Despite them being stubborn, he still gave them water. So there's a thought behind it. He's merciful and gracious. David describes this same verse. Psalm 103. Verse 7. You see why you will not understand the fullness of God if you only read the New Testament? Do you know that the apostles used to preach and, the only Bible, and by then they only had the Old Testament? Read them both. They're both important. It says, He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. What are his ways? Uh huh. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. Ah. Uh-huh. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. Even when ang- he's when, when it's angry, it's not for good. Next verse. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. In short, if... Let's look at the context. For now, we're looking at the context of here we are. We are coming before God for salvation. If in that period we asked him for what we deserved, we would not be in hell right now. He's not dealt with us according to our sins, not punished us according to our iniquities. Then that means that karma is not a godly doctrine. I'll say it again, just in case. Karma is not a godly doctrine. I don't believe in it. Do you? You believe in it. It's not godly. If it was, if it was, then we should all be dead right now because we've done wrong things. If you wanted God to apply karma on you, my goodness. It's not biblical, it's Buddhist. Let's go on. Go back to verse 10. Because karma is all about whatever you do, you get what you deserve, right? Give me from the Amplified. the the verse before. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. What has he chosen to reward us by? By what Jesus has done. Am I suggesting you shouldn't do good to people? After God gives you such a gift, surely you shouldn't do good good to people. Let's go on. You'll see as we continue with the series because there's a part where we're going to look at how grace teaches you to live right. And look at what it says. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. Uh And as far as the east is from the west, so he has removed our transgressions from us. Take a moment and appreciate it. Let's tell him, Lord, thank you. Verse 13. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. I've, I've got a question. Imagine, like here's a parent, they went home, and then they found their child has moved out of the house. Then they're looking for the child, and they find the child has moved into the dog house, where the dogs have houses in (laughs) Zambia. They've moved into the space, which the dog occupies. And (laughs) and they are preparing their supper, and they're getting from the bin. And they're there sitting and eating that. And the parent comes and says, why are you doing this? And the person says, I've come to realize I don't deserve you. I don't deserve your love. All the silly things I've done, I broke that rule. There's even those rules I broke which you never found out. Then I also broke that rule, and I broke that rule. So I don't deserve your love. I really just don't deserve it. So because I don't deserve your love, I've decided that from now on to show you how humble and sorry I am, I will live outside with the dog and I'll eat from the bin. Which parent would accept that? The shoe that will miss you if you, if it's an African, <laughs> if it's an African man, <laughs> where the shoe will come from, <laughs> you don't know. But something will bypass you somewhere here. Why? Because that's now rewarding yourself according to what you've done wrong. But then you are removing the context of the love that your parents have for you, and how many times we do that with God. God is here saying. I'm choosing five people to use. You're like, it can't be me. (laughs) If God knew where I've been, it's not possible for it to be me. The number of times we do that with God. Somebody say glory. glory. Can we continue? So these are the ways of God. He's merciful and gracious. And I'll tell you something. If any person has struggles Understanding just how merciful he is, you wouldn't be the first one. Big and great people in the Bible struggle with it. It's, it's, it's a side of God people don't, don't realize how merciful he is. His mercy triumphs even over judgment. James 2 verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Are you ready for a few more Bible stories? In one minute, tell your neighbor what you've learned so far. As you take us to First Kings, First Kings. First Kings. Now when it says the Lord is merciful and gracious, in the Hebrew the words there are Jehovah. Okay, we've told our neighbors now. Some of you are laughing. Was I that funny? What are you laughing about? Oh, I should try out stand up. Eh? Anyways, the Lord is merciful and gracious in the Hebrew that is Jehovah Rakum Shanum And Rakum Chanum. And I said rakum <laughs> chanum. And what that's referring to is like the compassion that a mother has towards their child. What the mothers say, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like the compassion that a mother has towards their child. Let's go now. I want us to see this compassion in in action. And look, I'm going to show you a part of the Bible that um, just certain things of God showing his mercy and grace that we might not always enjoy reading, especially from in this side of the world. How many of you have heard of a certain gentleman called Ahab? Ahab. Who's heard of Ahab? Ahab was married to a lady named Jezebel. Now, who's heard of Jezebel? Come on, we've all heard of Jezebel. Okay, so I'll give you the story. Ahab was married to a lady named Jezebel, and Ahab was a wicked man. Uh, Look at what the Bible says about him. 1 Kings 16, verse 30. We'll read verse 30 and 33. I just want to see something about how wicked Ahab was. Now, Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. (laughs) Read verse 33. Verse 33. And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. He is literally provoking God. Oh, by the way, I I, I hope you know that there are certain things that provoke God. There are certain things that provoke God. Now, I'm not saying God is behind certain things. I'm just saying there are certain things that are provocative. And he can remove his shield. Do Do you know what they said about the Titanic when they built it? Not even God can sink this ship first trip with your jack busy in the water. <laughs> <laughs> <It is> well. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they said about it. Praise God. That's why I'm, I'm requesting, even as we're praying, with regards to things that are going on globally, these viruses and the like, Let's ask God for mercy. Human beings have become too pompous sometimes. We think, oh, because we've advanced in technology, okay, can small virus doing people like this. <laughs> so let's ask him for mercy. Yeah? Can we go on? Ahab was so wicked. Now, in First Kings chapter 21, I want to show you, there's a story. In this man's wickedness, he he desired he desired a a farm a vineyard which was owned by a man named naboth but naboth said i'm not going to give you because it's my father's inheritance and ahab was sad you know he was he was sad and his wife jezebel and the bible actually tells us that jezebel steered him to do evil so be careful who you marry so his wife jezebel came and asked, why are you sad? And so the gentleman says, I wanted this farm. And the wife devised a conniving plan. She decided to host a party in Naboth's honor. And when she hosted the party, uh, she, they paid some people to accuse him of blasphemy. And when he was accused, he was stoned. And after he was stoned, he died. And she came and said, you can now get the farm. And that's how I have got the farm. You can find that in 1 Kings chapter 21. You ready? So now when this happened, verse 17. I didn't want to go through all the verses. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Elijah was Ahab's enemy, by the way. Elijah is the one who said there should be no rain because of the wickedness that Ahab was doing. That's why I was saying merciful and gracious, but he goes on to say that we in no way justify the guilty. So what ju- what's our justification? That's why you still have to believe in the Lord Jesus. I'll explain it soon. Arise and go to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus saith the Lord. What is this? It's a judgment. Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus saith the Lord. In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. Go on. And so here it is. Elijah has gone and found Ahab. What does the Bible say? So Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you, because you have sought yourself to do evil in the sight of God. Uh Uh-huh. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity and will cut off from Ab every male in Israel, both bond and free. Uh Uh-huh. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of that other guy, which you have, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. God was angry. Uh Uh-huh. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, "The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Ah, uh-huh. the dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, and the birds of the air will eat whoever dies in the field." Are we following? What verse are we on, my friend? You don't want this side of God. <laughs> now I want you to see what Ahab did. Verse twenty-seven. So it was when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his body, and fasted, and lay in a sackcloth, and went about mourning. Now, this is the part, I'll be honest, when I read this, I think, seven, eight years ago, the first time, no, no, maybe 10 years ago, I was shocked when I read it. Look at this. The word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, Uh-huh. See how Ahab has humbled himself before me. <laughs> <laughs> I told you. <laughs> Can you imagine Elijah's reaction? <laughs> Elijah's like man of fire, you know? He's See how Ab has humbled himself before me. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. Why? Because some, someone still has to pay the price. And you're glad Jesus paid your price. So imagine if the son also decided to be humble before God until the days of Jesus. But can you imagine? He comes and says, see how this guy has humbled himself. That's how Ab survived. Jezebel didn't though." That shows you that his mercy triumphs over judgment. Let me show you one more. Jonah. He's got the book of Jonah. How many of you love the book of Jonah? Some of you used to sing the book of Jonah as a praise song, eh? And and you know what I heard? Apparently, uh, Dylan was telling me at his boarding school when they would sing this song, they would look for like the smallest person and then start like rocking them like this, like they're they're trying to throw them off the boat. And so so if you're the smallest person that day, run away. (laughs) Guys, how do you think that is a very song? (laughs) Okay, Book of Jonah. How many of you remember the story of Jonah? You've read it? I think... One psalmist uh, summarized it well, right? Jonah, stomach, fish. Uh, Jonah cried three days, no food, and something like that. So I'm not going into details because the psalmist already did it for us. But there was a gentleman called Jonah, and God told him to go to preach in Nineveh, and God told him to tell them. The message he had for Nineveh was not even a nice one. God, was, God told him to go tell them that they are dying. God sent him to go judge Nineveh. Praise God. And Jonah decided to go to Tarshish instead. When he decided to go to Tarshish, he found himself in a boat. Then everyone in the boat was, there was, he was the Jonah of the boat, so they threw him out of the boat. He found himself in the belly of the whale. And then in there, he asked God for mercy, and the whale vomited him out, and he decided to go to Nineveh. The word actually came again, and he went to Nineveh. Now, Some of you may not understand, but the reason why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh is because the people of Nineveh had oppressed his people. So it's like, remember the days of colonization. Now imagine one year after getting independence, you're told, go to that same place and preach to them. Now, interestingly, Jonah didn't even have good news for them. But there's a reason he didn't want to go, because it was a side of God he knew. Let's see. I don't know if you've ever read this. Jonah chapter 3. After Jonah gives them the message, let's look at verse 5. Somebody say, merciful and gracious. It says, let's start from verse 1 maybe, just for context. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, "Uh Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord, and now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city. And on the first day's walk, he cried out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He prophesied it's going to be overthrown. Why? It was a judgment from God. Next verse. So the people of Nineveh believed God proclaimed a fast put on a sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Now, this was a serious fast. Let me show how serious it was. Uh, and the word came to the king of Nineveh. He heard the word. What did he do? And he arose from his throne, lay aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Next verse. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Not even the cows were eating. They were all fasting. (laughs) By the way, this shows you why it's important for Christians to take up bigger positions. There's a certain influence that only the king could give. And so it says, do not let them eat or drink water. Next verse. Reminds you of Shaka, eh? But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way, from the violence that's in his hands. Uh-huh. Who can tell if God would turn and relate and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Praise God. Verse 10, what does it say? Then God saw their works, that they turned from evil. And God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. Jonah's prophecy didn't come to pass. Jonah wasn't happy about it. You will see why. Jonah chapter 4. Verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. Why? For I know that you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, one who relents from growing That's, that's why Jonah didn't want to go there. He knew if they repented, God will show mercy. <laughs> You've never seen that, right? <laughs> he knew. Wow. Next verse. Then God taught him, a lesson. Therefore now, oh Lord, take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than live. Jonah. Uh-huh. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? Uh-huh. But it's the same Jonah God showed mercy in the fish. Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shed for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. This is a serious miracle. The plant grew in one day. (laughs) Serious miracle. And God, imagine God is like still helping the guy. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm, and it so damaged the plant that it withered. Uh-huh. And it happened that when the sun rose, that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head, so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, it's better for me to die than live. Uh-huh. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, is, it is right for me to be angry even to death. Uh-huh. Now, look at what God answered. Look at what God answered. God said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. Uh-huh. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much like Sok? God is telling Jonah, I am merciful over a plant. You expect me not to be merciful over people. And that's what's happening to the world today. Save the plants. Save the trees. Kill the babies. Kill the babies. Hey, animal cruelty. Gosh, I'm botting kids. That's, that's what the word is propagating now. So what happened in this verse? Jonah. A certain man had two sons. Uh-huh. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them to his livelihood. And not many days after, the other son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and wasted his possessions with prodigal living. If we've read the story, eventually the guy started working and keeping pigs. When he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him to the fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. It's so God. But when he came to himself, there is a place where you come to yourself. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Hold on. Now that's from the perspective of the receiver. He's saying, "Look, I've done so much. I don't even deserve to be called your child. Just let, let me just be one of your servants." What does the father do? And his father arose, and and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a great war off, his father saw him and had what compassion? What's that? That's mercy. And ran and fell on his neck. Wow. And kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That's from the perspective of the receiver. Uh-huh. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Uh-huh. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this is my son, not this is my servant, this is my son. I, I, you have not seen it. He says, For this is my son. So the guy comes and says, I don't deserve to even be your son. If you can favor me, just make me one of your servants. The father tells the servants who is admiring, prepare food for him, because this one is my son. That's That's undeserved favor. That's mercy. That's grace. And that's what Jesus came with. He says, this is my son. And then the other guy came angry. The same way Jonah was angry. You see what I'm saying, you're not the first one. <laughs> Jonah was angry. We're not told how Elijah's emotions were. The brother was angry here. I said, how do you have favor on him? And the father told him relax, not like yours will reduce. Relax, you can kill a cow whenever you feel like So God showing mercy on others doesn't mean He's just the one with Praise God. <laughs> this is a Mark 10 verse 46. There are so many scriptures like that, that i highlighted, but let's look at this one. Now they came to Jericho and He went out of Jericho with His disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Son of David, have mercy on me. The guy caught the revelation of who he was. Caught the revelation, and this one is merciful and gracious. Ah. Born. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out O oh, the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. That man did something so faith, faith, faith delicious, or something like that. <laughs> Look at this. And throwing aside his garment. The one he used to sit on begging, he threw it. He knew there was no need for it anymore. The guy threw it away. He rose and came to Jesus. Uh And Jesus answered and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabboni, that I may receive, not the word, my sight. That I may receive my sight. (laughs) Somebody say glory. What do we see? It was an act of mercy. The gentleman the, the, the gentleman didn't come with a spiritual CV of what he had done to deserve it. It was an act of mercy. What he cried out for was mercy. In short, just listen in your kindness, in your kindness, be merciful to me and do this for me. It was an act of mercy. And that's what Jesus did. So why? does God give grace? Because he is gracious and merciful. Why does he forgive even those who we think shouldn't be forgiven? Because he's gracious and merciful. Why did he forgive us even when we felt we shouldn't be forgiven? Because he's gracious and merciful. You have to understand that side of God. You have to understand it. Some will ask, does this mean that someone can live how they want and then They'll just go before God on judgment day and say, Lord, you are merciful and gracious. It means you didn't read the next part, which says that will in no way justify the guilt. Our justification. In his gracious and merciful nature he sent us Jesus. If we choose not to obey him, there's there's, there's nothing better. There's no better gift. Final verse. Someone would ask, why then is God so good, He's got a purpose for it? Romans two verse three and four. Well, and do you think this, O oh man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, <laughs> that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long-suffering? Look at the purpose. Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. The goodness of God should never lead to complicity, The goodness of God should never lead to compromise. The goodness of God leads men to what? Repentance. That's what it should lead to. (laughs) Praise God. The law came through Moses, but grace and deserved favor came through Jesus. Why? Because the Lord is merciful and gracious. And we can read story after story after story. His Give me this one. Just increase the volume. Okay. So, the Lord is merciful and gracious. And in his mercy, in his grace, he gave us Jesus. How many of us have learned something about the way of God today? That's why, have you noticed when he tells us to to do good to others, it says when you're doing this, you're like your father in heaven. Who makes it rain both on the evil and on the righteous okay so today we've defined grace as undeserved favor undeserved and might I add this it's not God is so good he's so merciful there is no possible way of exaggerating how merciful he is some can pollute the message, but you can't exaggerate God's goodness and His mercy. His desire is always to restore, His desire is always to save, that's His first option before we look at other options. He desires mercy even over judgment. Praise God. Praise Him one more time. Okay.